Hello, I'm Ian McIntosh and welcome to the show that I wanted to host so badly I engineered a bitter schism in the podcasting world just to establish a structure in which it could survive. This week, as Aston Villa appear to turn the corner, Birmingham wrench their driver from the wheel. We speak to a man who's managed both of them. Don't be just another Leeds United obsessed football league show, you begged us on Twitter. Well, okay then. We'll talk about the team that beat them this weekend instead. And it's happy days over at St James's Park. No, not that one. The other one. And what's Pep up to? And again, not that one. The other one. Because this is the Totally Football League show. Ah, exciting this. The lengths a Southend United supporter will go to just to get some decent coverage, eh? And it's not just limited to Southend either, this show. We'll need you to get in touch with us. We'll talk about more of that later, but for now, know this. You don't have to follow anyone new on Twitter. At The Totally Show is where we are. You don't have to follow anyone new on Facebook either. At The Totally Football Show is us there. But if you do like the show, you can subscribe on iTunes and other portals. And don't forget to like, rate, review, or, you know, just tell a friend about us. But that is enough of that. The Totally Football League show is all about the stories, and we have some excellent people in the studio to tell these stories. Every week, until, in the words of Lieutenant Radcheck from Starship Troopers, he dies or I find someone better, we've got Matt Stanger. Matt, hi. Hello, Ian. You're a, you're a Blackburn Rovers fan, aren't you? How's that working out for you? We said we're not going to discuss their result this week. Oh, God, it begins already. Matt is the editor of the set pieces as well. You'll be able to find a bit of crossover content with uh, stuff from the show on that website, so give them a follow as well. We are also delighted to be joined by a man who, as we said at the top, has managed both Birmingham and Aston Villa, and he played a bit as well. It's Alex McLeish. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. You watch quite a lot of football league games, don't you? Yeah, I do. I try and... Uh cover most of the games everything at the weekend in terms of the highlights certainly try and get to championship games within London or across London and sometimes even further down the country and in fact you mentioned St James's Park and I know you meant not that one but I met Paul Tisdale in the summer and I said I would come down and see a game if, if it was okay and uh, he's He's invited me, so it'll be good to see Paul's team playing because he's doing very well. He's doing all right. Well, we'll talk a lot more about that later, but we are going to start in the Championship for obvious reasons. Let's have a look at the rest of the league, though. Leeds, what on earth happened with Leeds? They lost 1-0 to Millwall, that's what. Six consecutive clean sheets down the pan. They are still top, though, nudging ahead of Mendes Hampton Wanderers on goal difference. Uh, They beat... Forest 2-1. Early pace setters Cardiff, they're down to third after salvaging a draw at home to Sheffield Wednesday. Last minute Sol Bamba equaliser there. And Preston's win over Birmingham takes Alex Neal's side to fourth. Best result of the weekend has to be Burton Albion, who beat Fulham 2-1, albeit by virtue of an iffy penalty. But an honourable mention to Bristol City, they battered Derby 4-1. There was a draw between relegated and not going back up again clubs Hull and Sunderland, a fine win for Borough over QPR and a first away win of the season for Norwich over Sheffield United. But it's the Midlands that dominates this week. Alex, we knew that Harry Redknapp was having problems at Birmingham. Uh, Did you expect him to go this quickly? No, certainly not. Um, that, that it was a real surprise. But another surprise was was Harry seemed to kind of go tamely. You know, he it was almost as if there was a mutual agreement or something um, that you know rather than a a big shock sacking. So that, that's only reading between the lines. I don't really know where you know what the real chat was between both of them when Harry finally left. As a manager, is there ever a time when something like that almost feels like a relief? 
Yeah. <laughs> the, the, definitely. And then uh, all of a sudden, a month or two later, you're twiddling your thumbs again and saying, I need back in. I need. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the masochist in you wants you to go back in. Matt, I watched Birmingham Leeds in midweek and I was actually quite impressed with Birmingham. I thought, you know, that they were they were beaten, but there was there was a marked improvement in them, the new players settling in. You watched them at the weekend against Preston. What went wrong? Well, they looked fairly solid in the first half and uh, obviously they went ahead, but I think like Harry said after the game, they uh, as soon as something goes against them, they they start to fall apart pretty quickly because, you know, they still have a bit of a losing mentality from that terrible run last season. And Preston are a decent side as well. You know, Preston are going well, like you, you said at the start of the show. So, you know, they were ready to capitalise on, on any uh, kind of doubt in the Birmingham defence. What about all these new players, though? They, they, they brought half the Brentford squad. Was, was there anyone there on Saturday who, who stood out? Well, Maxim Collins stood out because he scored uh, the goal and then also he cocked up terribly for, uh, for one Preston strike. So, so he, yeah, he's, he's made a bit of a name for himself already. Uh, but no, I mean, the, you know, the, the team has still needed to gel, really, and this is why it's so bizarre after, what, 13 games he's been given a sack and after signing 14 players in the summer. Alex, when you were there, life was always interesting behind the scenes. Uh, do you get the impression that it's still similarly idiosyncratic um, back there? Well, you you really don't know until you go in and you, you get a piece of it, but at the moment they seem to be in a, a little bit of free fall um, whether they, they have a, a a solid idea or where they're going uh, remains to be seen. You know, there was a few bobs spent there, and it takes time for, for a team to gel, and especially when you make wholesale changes and you, you bring in about eight or nine players at the one time and you try to integrate them into the team. When, when you do bring in that number of players in a short space of time, how, how easy is it to, to make them gel? That's that is it's very difficult and and until you get evidence that of of their mentality because that division is a lot to do with mentality. Uh, you you know you don't have to be the most beautiful player in the world, but if you're a good solid um, player who's been around a little bit, I I kind of relied on guys like Lee Carsley who came from the Premier League, Marcus Bent at the time. We were never a beautiful Premier League kind of wannabe team at the time. We we built towards that. And, you know, it's a gradual thing. But the one thing I made sure was we had mentality in that team. And Harry's talking about they lose a goal and they crumble. Now, you've got to get them over that and uh, prove to them, let them feel the evidence for themselves that they can handle that. Matt, was Harry Redknapp on a hiding to nothing when he took this? I mean, wouldn't he have been better just walking away after rescuing him last season? Yeah, I think that might have been the uh, the best idea for him, to be honest, because that could have worked out pretty well for Steve Cottrell, who uh, there's a, a poll on the Birmingham Mail yesterday who to, who would the fans like to replace Redknapp, and he was actually leading uh, that poll. And Cottrell came in as Redknapp's assistant for the last three games last season, and uh, you know, help with that galvanising effect to, to you know to to keep them in in the championship. And he decided to walk away in the summer, even though he's offered a deal because you know he sees himself as a number one still, and he's looking for another managerial opportunity. And now he might walk back in as Redknapp's replacement. So, well, what what about you, Alex? I mean, we, we know you're. you're <laughs> I bet I get a poll going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I bet I get a poll going. Would, would you be interested if uh, if they sounded you out? Well, it, it would be. I think. Stupid not to speak to them. Um, certainly, you would need to uh, understand the parameters. Um, I've worked 
mainly in firefighting jobs since coming to England, going across the road to Villa, I had to reduce the wages in one season by quite a substantial amount. And when I see Ronnie Cooman's comments yesterday saying that, um, you know, they've spent 150 million, Josie wound him up a wee bit by saying that they should be going for top four spending that kind of money. But Cooman sees it as a, as a bunch of money that actually makes them stand still. So going back to the Villa experience, dropping wages dramatically certainly doesn't get you up that table. Yeah, Villa have spent an awful lot of money this season and up until this weekend didn't seem to have done them an awful lot of good. It looked like it would be a race to the sack between Harry Redknapp and Steve Bruce, but it was um, an outstanding win for for Villa. 3-0 away at Barnsley. Alex, do you think Steve Bruce might have turned the corner now? Because it's been a horrible start. Yeah, a victory can really galvanise the the squad. I'm sure that this week's training will be really bubbly at Villa and and the players feeling confident and going about their training in a different manner. Steve slightly changed the tactics at the weekend uh, because he's he's a learned guy. He's he's got a lot of experience and as they say, experience is forever. And he showed. You know just what he's made of. It's um, um, it's three clean sheets in a row, six games yeah. of that defeat. Is that is that the bedrock it's well, built well, on? Of course it is. Yeah, because they were losing goals. Maybe because they, you know, as as Aston Villa, they would be expected to go and attack teams and maybe press them as well, but not the the greatest pace at the back. John Terry, the greatest experience, but not the greatest pace. Uh, not just John, but that can leave you vulnerable to very quick centre-forwards. And they have been caught out once or twice up up until this juncture. And Steve's maybe found a different way to win a game. And and that was a real booster at the weekend. Well, Matt, you've, you saw the Villa game and um, you, you'll have been impressed with some of the younger players coming through, particularly um, up front. Yeah, Keenan Davis really stood out again. He uh, he had that great game against Norwich when Villa won 4-2 early in the season. And, uh, you know, he, he led the line again really well at Barnsley on, on Saturday evening. Um, yeah, as Alex said, I think that, you know, that, that Villa back line looks pretty solid, but, you know, they they will be tested by, by pacier forward lines. Uh, and I think they played a little bit deeper actually on Saturday and looked to, looked to play the ball up to Davis quite early and, you know, have players feeding around him. Um, and yeah, he won the penalty to uh, to open scoring and um, sorry, to, to to set up a, a domer and then uh, scored one himself as well. So yeah, he played very well. Of course, the thing with Villa is, and um, this is a developing theme in our conversation this morning. They have a very um, very vocal chairman, don't they? Um, he's, he's very keen on Twitter. Um, <laughs> is, is that is that helpful in boosting the profile of a club, or as a manager, do you start to fear that sort of thing? It's uh, kind of Donald Trump-like, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. You know? But it's just a modern-day phenomenon that, you know, it's, it's difficult for me pr- probably coming, you know, from a different era to understand why the chairman would, would want to speak so much. But it's his club and he can do what he wants. And uh, as long as, you know, I think that it's very, very easy to to say something that maybe affects the gaffer, the manager, and and I think you just have to be careful what you say because you know I had um, at Birmingham with Karen and the two Davids, they said one or two things towards the end of the season when we were going for promotion, and I said, look, if if you can just let me do the football speaking, I'd be much obliged. And uh, we had a good agreement at the end of the season, very amicable. And we went on to get that promotion back to the Premier League. 
Well, Aston Villa will have a chance to build on that game. They've got Nottingham Forest, who aren't in a particularly good run of form. Um, they've got them at the weekend. Birmingham, on the other hand, will reacquaint themselves with Gary Rowett, who, of course, was sacked while they were in seventh, I'd imagine. He'll have a few things to say. He'll he'll be motivated. (laughs) But after all this doom and gloom in the Midlands, here's some more. The Totally Football Show Live is coming to Birmingham. It's November the 8th. We'll be at the Glee Club. James Richardson will be hosting. We'll have a star-studded panel of guests. Producer Ben will be there. You can get tickets now on glee.co.uk or you can just go on our Facebook and you'll find all the links there. So do that, please, because it would be lovely to see you. Matt, we literally threw you to the Lions. But what, what was it like? It's not actually that bad, is it? I absolutely loved it, Ian. I yeah. can't wait to go back. Yeah? Um, yeah, it was uh, a great game to, to start with. The atmosphere was brilliant. Met loads of lovely fans who were all keen to tell me their, uh, their thoughts on Millwall's start to the season, which has uh, gone from OK to, to pretty good now, I think, with that victory. Uh, I stopped off at the Millwall Cafe before the game, had a battered sausage, so can't go wrong. And I got a <laughs> selfie with Amper the Lion, so I'm not sure if I had quite the <laughs> typical experience at the Den. You've, you've ticked a lot of boxes. I've been to the Den. It's, uh, it's fine. The stewards are really friendly as well. Yeah, yeah, there was a little bit of trouble in the first half when um, Steve Morrison had a, a goal disallowed for offside and I think a bottle was uh, yobbed at the, uh, at the linesman. But yeah, apart from that, it was all very friendly. I'll tell you what, if you do want to know a little bit about Millwall and you get a chance, get Mike Calvin's book, uh, Family. Mike's done lots of great books, but Family is still my favourite. He gets behind-the-scenes access to the club, the kind of thing that uh, Hunter Davis did back in the day. Um, But Millwall, of course, have had bigger things on their mind, haven't they, with the continuing ground controversy that was so well covered by the Guardian's Barney Rone. Um, Are we getting there to that being sorted now? Not really, and I, uh, I spoke to Steve Cavanagh, the Millwall CEO. He was telling me that it's still very much, uh, you know, an, an ongoing process that's that's up in the air at the moment. We don't want to move. Let's be clear. We've got no desire to move. We want to be here. We feel we're a huge part of the community, and to up and move isn't what we want to do. And the fans will will fight that. But if it is absolutely the right thing to do because this has gone ahead, then we would have to do it. The situation is, in January, the uh, compulsory purchase orders were scrapped by the council um, ahead of an inquiry that's, uh, that's ongoing at the moment, and, and he's costing the taxpayer £500,000, by the way. Uh, and, yeah, really, the, the outcome of that will uh, not be able to decide whether they can go ahead or not, but it will sort of inform uh, people of the, you know, the council's decision-making process and, and uh, you know, where this situation stands. There's actually uh, an election at the moment for uh, deciding the Labour candidate in, in the local mayor elections uh, next year. And uh, Millwall have written to five candidates there for Labour and four of them have said that they wouldn't support uh, any more CPOs but uh, the fifth Paul Maslin has said that he would still back the CPOs so there's obviously concern renewal uh, on some of the land around uh, around the car park which uh, which is the particular piece of land that's in question and so you know there's, there's clearly a lot of interest in this as, as Nick Hart from the Acton Millwood podcast called it uh, high value redevelopment opportunity <laughs> Um, Alex, have you seen much of Millwall um, under under Neil Harris? Watching their promotion uh, success last year was was terrific to see, and I think there's about a Scottish uh, heritage at, at Millwall. I think if you look back, um, there, there's a wee bit of history there. 
And then one of my my good pals, Alec Ray, up in Scotland, ex Sunderland fame as well, and Wolves. He had a great time at Millwall, and I think he was a top player for them in in that era. And uh, Neil Harris, um, of course, I cannot remember which book I read this in, but he's uh, his son is a particularly talented um, footballer who was spotted, I think, about the age of uh, seven or eight by a number of Premier League scouts who then approached Neil and said, you know, let's get him in the academy, to which Neil said, no, he's a kid, let him enjoy his football. If he still wants to do it when he's a teenager, then maybe we'll talk then. Uh, I've always quite liked that. Um, but as a football team, Matt, um, you know, not much said about them. Obviously, they, they came up um, through the playoffs. Um, what, what are they like? Are they, are they going to stay up? Are they going to do more than stay up? I think they're definitely going to stay up. Uh, they they play brilliantly against Leeds. I was listening to uh, to Nick Hart's podcast uh, after the um, Norwich game when they won four 0 and he was saying that they they don't look to play that possession style like a lot of teams do in the Championship. Instead, they uh, cut through teams like a freight train, and that's exactly how they played against Leeds on Saturday. They they really went for it for, from the off, and Leeds just looked pretty shell shocked to be honest. And Thomas Christensen, especially in this, his post match press conference, Millwall have got this uh, winger down the right, Jed Wallace, who was at, at Wolves before, and uh, I spoke to a Wolves fan who said that he didn't really work out there. He looked a little bit weak and didn't really settle into the team. And uh, I don't think he was given a huge amount of opportunity as well. But but he was he was just uh, yeah relentless against against Leeds. And uh, there was one moment where he, he went down the right-hand side and Pontus Janssen came across. And Pontus Janssen obviously linked with a lot of big moves and a lot of big Premier League clubs. And uh, he just made Pontus Janssen look like a Sunday league defender, just jinked the ball past him, went there, round, fired in across. There goes that move. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, I, I really can't stress how good I thought Leeds were up until this weekend. Every game I've seen them, they've been brilliant. So much individual talent, um, so much pace, uh, so good on the counter-attack. What happened? They had one shot, Ian. One shot? And it was from Sice, and it must have been 30 yards over the bar. So they they just, they didn't really get going at all. They they obviously lost Liam Cooper, so uh, they had to, to make changes before the game. They brought Shaughnessy into to central defence. They looked a bit un- uncertain at the back. Uh, and Christensen tried to make changes throughout the match. At half-time, he made a double change, uh, and he brought on Dallas, who, who did fairly well down the left. And then the last roll of the dice, with about 20 minutes to go, just before Millwall scored, actually, he took off Sice and he put on J. Roy Grot. So I think they had about two six-foot-four centre-forwards and about 400 pounds of striker on the pitch at that point. And yet they didn't really pump it up to them like like you thought they would do. And Lasaga, um, he didn't really play that much towards the, the back end of his Hamburg spell, and uh, he's come in, obviously, and played three games in a week there. So he looked a bit tired, and I think they need to regroup. More on the championship in a bit. Do you want to know what your first cornerstone shave feels like? You know when you've been struggling with a really bad tin opener, and every time you try to open a tin of mushy peas, it's an absolute ordeal, and it won't work properly, and you get sore fingers, and you end up having to stick those fingers under jagged metal and wrench the lid off just to get your mushy peas out? And then, after months of putting up with it, you buy yourself a brand new tin opener, a really good one, and suddenly everything's quick and easy. It's like opening a tin with a lightsaber. Cornerstone take all the hassle out of shaving. Let them know how often you defuzz and sign up to one of their plans and you'll never have to worry about running out of blades ever again because they'll deliver them right to your door. To get yourself started, head to cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. You'll receive a personally engraved razor and six super sharp blades for just £4. That's cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. I'm Ian McIntosh, and thanks to Cornerstone, I can eat mushy peas 
every day. Right, it's time to play Fan League. Have you heard of Fan League, Matt? Yes, I have, Ian. Well, that's because I briefed you on it earlier today. It's basically like the football pools, but it's on your phone. You get a slip with 13 games, some from the Premier League, some from the Championship, and you pick home win, away win, or draw. That's it. It's easy. The more you get right, the more chance of winning big cash prizes. Um, no one needs any help with their Premier League predictions. We all know all about that. But there might be, you know, might need a little bit of guidance on the Championship. So uh, every week we'll see what we can do. See if we can, you know, help you win some money. First game on the slip from the Championship is Sunderland-Cardiff. Matt, how do you feel about Sunderland-Cardiff? I think it's going to be a draw, and I think it'll be quite a tight game. Cardiff seem to have uh, just let, you know, gone off a little bit, uh, got a last-minute uh, equaliser at the weekend, whereas Sunderland have uh, got pretty creditable draw away to Hull. So, yeah, I think it's going to be quite a tight one, this. Yeah, Alex? I go for a away win. Away win? Yeah, because, uh, you know, I feel... Neil Warnock really loves to play against the big teams and he he sets himself up and the team really well for one of those occasions and this is a massive occasion for what, him. What's he like to share a technical area with? Because I've heard he's a bit un- unpleasant. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, I've, ne- I've never had a problem with Neil and, and uh, the head-to-heads we've had, they've always been very amicable before during and after there's been no big bus stops and yeah you can be vociferous but listen we see Guardiola we see um, Conte I watched them Man City Chelsea last year at, at, at Stamford Bridge and the two of them were incessant in that dugout and launching orders at their players and shouting to the other side of the field so if they can do it, you know why can't the British coaches? Fair point. So you're going away when you're going to draw, Matt. I'm going to draw as well. Uh, let's turn our attention to QPR against Burton. I love Burton. I really do. I don't know how they got in the second division, but I can't see them winning this. I think this is a QPR win. What do you think? I'll go for a home, home win. Yeah, Matt? Yeah, home win. OK, we're fairly unanimous on that one. Uh, Leeds United doing so well up until Saturday. They are at home to Ipswich. Uh, Alex, what do you reckon? I, I actually, the big wily Mick McCarthy, I'll go for a draw. Ah, really? Matt? I think Leeds will bounce back with a win here, actually. I think they should have Liam Cooper back, so I think that'll help them. OK, I think, I think I'm... Yeah, I'm I'm backing Leeds. I don't understand how they were so bad against Millwall. Every time I've seen them this season, they've been excellent. So let's just put that down as a one-off. Next up on the slip is Sheffield Wednesday, Sheffield United. Which one of those teams is coming back to the Premier League first, do you think? Sheffield Wednesday. Really? There's, There's been some concerns from the fans about... About Carlos Caraval and Yeah, but I don't know if it's any time soon, but I would think that they would be favourites. Although, you know, Sheffield United have uh, certainly raised a few eyebrows yeah. with the, the, the performances in the league position this season, uh, and they've been very consistent. So I think all the credit to the gaffer and the, the team that he's built there. Can you see either one going up anytime soon? Is it not quite their time yet? I don't see it. Anytime soon, I don't see it this, this season, but Sheffield Wednesday have spent a few bob to try and reach that goal. Alex, what do you reckon here? Go for a draw. A draw? Safe bet? Yes. <laughs> I'm, going, defense. I'm going Wednesday win. I think Sheffield United will be a bit rattled by that defeat against Norwich. Matt? I'm going to join Alex on the fence, I think, with this one. <laughs> OK. And there is one more on the slip. Uh, Aston Villa against Nottingham Forest. Home win. Home win? 
You yeah. think Bruce has turned I, it around? I, I just believe that the you know Steve will be drumming into the guys that we've had that fantastic victory last week. Let's not spoil it with a dismal result at home again. Uh, but you know Mark Warburton started the season reasonably well for Forest also, but uh, I go for Villa just having that wee bit of momentum of that victory last week. They're having a bit of a wobble there, uh, Forest. Another one of your former clubs, yes, of course. Yes, very, uh, very short spell. Short spell. Yeah, before you, uh, <laughs> you, you, you felt something was up, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, uh, you know, there was one or two things that uh, were against my principles, and certainly in, in, in terms of contractual as well. So, uh, you know, it was, it just wasn't um, the right one at, at the end of the day. And then when I didn't get the transfer targets and deadline day, you, you kind of get the feeling that it's it's not going to work here. Matt, Aston Villa Forest. Yeah, I think Villa will will win again. Yeah, I am in complete agreement. Okay, that is Fan League. All you have to do is just add the remaining Premier League predictions to that. Doesn't take very long at all. And uh, you can you can win cash prizes. It depends how many you get right and how many people are playing. But uh, 10 is usually enough to get you on the board. 11 will get you lots of money. 12 will probably make a considerable difference to your holiday plans and... Well, I don't think anyone's got 13 yet and no one in this room is likely to, I fear. Uh, If you want to play Fan League with us, just download the app. It's called Fan League. And when you've done that, search for me, Ian McIntosh, and I will invite you to join the Totally Football League League. You'll be able to play against us every week. You'll be able to see how well or how badly we're doing. Sadly, that's all we've got time for on the Championship. Following the maxim that we barely even play by our own rules, it's time for League Two. Do you know how much we like the Football League paper here at the Totally Football League show? We like them so much that we're going to do a sort of Barcelona UNICEF thing where we advertise them and instead of taking their money, we're going to give them money instead. £1.50 every week because that's how much we like it. Every single Football League game has its own report. Every single one. Imagine putting that together on a Saturday night. And yet, it's always in the shop's first thing Sunday morning. The Football League paper, £1.50. Buy it. It's really, really good. Do not ask for whom the bell tolls. I'll tell you, it tolls for Michael Brown, sacked by Port Vale, and Gary Caldwell, sacked by Chesterfield. Those two are hand in hand and tits deep in the brown stuff at the bottom of League Two. At the top, well, we'll talk about Exeter in a moment, but a word for Kevin Nolan's Notts County, who beat Harry Kiel's Crawley on Saturday. They're in second. Who are Accrington Stanley? They're the team in third, thanks to that era-ending win at Chesterfield. It was a bad day at the office for Michael Flynn's Newport. He was furious at the manner of their defeat at Morecambe, and no wonder. But who had a worse day? I take no pleasure at all in telling you it was Colchester, who lost 3-1 to Cheltenham, and a long season awaits for both of those, I think. But today, we're going to be having a look at Exeter. What do you need to know? They've never played in the top two divisions. They kind of invented the Brazilian national team, the first team to play against them. And they went financially kaboom in spectacular fashion in the 1990s before tumbling out of the Football League in 2003. However, they were saved by the Supporters Trust. They hired Paul Tisdale in 2006. They returned to League Two in 2008, bounced straight up to League One in 2009 and slipped back again in 2012. But now, now they're on the up again. They're doing very well. Um, Matt, it's it's quite a change, because if we'd have done this show this time last year, we wouldn't be having this conversation, would we? 
No, we wouldn't, Ian. Um, last this time last year, they were struggling towards the bottom of the table. They hadn't won at home since April, and uh, that was one of only two home wins in in a in a calendar year there. So, uh, yeah, the supporters trust uh, said to the club that they they thought Paul Tisdale should serve his notice on his contract, and they were looking really to make a change down the line. Uh, and then straight after that, they went on a twelve game unbeaten run. <laughs> so yeah, they turned it around pretty quickly. And they um, they followed that run up for the rest of the season. They ended up in the playoffs. They went to Wembley, and there they were beaten by Blackpool, which rather ruins the story. Um, I, I guess you know the the fans could could they really be blamed because they were really bad, weren't they? They were twenty third. They were bad. Uh, I think it was the home form that was the biggest complaint, and they'd been bad at home for a couple of years. Um, and yeah, it was not the first time that Tisdale was under a bit of pressure actually. Because in 2014, it was actually a petition from a, a group of fans asking uh, asking for him to leave, asking either the club to sack him or for Tisdale to resign. And obviously, he's been there for 11 years now, so I think they <laughs> hoped that he would, uh, you know, fall upon his sword and uh, and go back in 2014. But uh, but then yeah, he he managed to stabilise the situation there as well. I don't think the petition actually got the 100,000 votes it needed to be debated in Parliament. I think it was just uh, <laughs> just the 400 odd votes there. Did, so. did you sense it was the kind of thing you know from a vocal a vocal minority rather than a widespread thing yeah absolutely i spoke to uh extra fan gary andrews actually who said uh it very much is a vocal minority and a lot of people understand the uh, the vision and the, lo- the long-term um focus that tisdale has on on developing a you know a, a good football playing young team uh, at exeter and yeah they're starting to bear the fruits of that labor They've got some very decent players there. Alex, you must have come across uh, Lee Holmes, who was under-19 England captain. He played for Derby at the age of 15. Um, I know Matt and I will disagree on this, but he was the player that stuck out for me. Yeah, he's been on the cusp of some bigger teams in years gone by, but you know he's, he's now playing at that level and he's an outstanding player. He's, he's definitely a player who can be ticks the boxes and gets the team going and he is again a player with great experience and on a technical level he's head and shoulders above yeah. a lot of people in that division isn't he yeah tremendous and Paul Tisdale wants to play in a technical way he's he's been very assured on that over the, the years he, he hasn't wavered uh, and that's why I'd like to go down and watch his team playing someday I'll tell you what does stand out about Exeter, um, probably because Paul Tisdale's been there for 11 years. Every single player who started the game for Exeter made at least 20 appearances for the first team last season. There's so much stability there. Does that really help when you're a manager, Alex? Yeah, yeah absolutely. The, the stability and consistency of the team. Uh, and I know that there's uh, the, the, the problem nowadays for a lot of coaches is, is to try and rotate the team and to make sure... A lot of players get game time. You know, I went 14 games unbeaten at, at Birmingham and the team just kept rolling on. I said, look, it's difficult to change the team, guys. You know, players chapping in my door. When am I going to get a game? <laughs> I said, maybe when we stop winning. Uh, and we, we had such a good run that it was, you know, 14 games without changing a single player in the team. Now, with, with Paul Tisdale, he's, he's obviously attracted quite a lot of attention while he's been there. Um, he's turned down jobs, we believe, at Swansea and Southampton in the past. Is that wise for a manager to not take the opportunities? Because I always go back to Steve Tilson at Southend, who was offered pretty much every job in the championship and turned them all down out of loyalty and then got sacked. Well, it depends on the individual. Yeah, Paul probably get good reasons for doing that and uh, shunning those those opportunities 
but as a player, I, I played 18 years at Aberdeen. I had a few chances to go to England. There weren't agents in those days who kicked the door down of the manager. I also had the the influence of Alec Ferguson to face when I was coming to talk about contracts. <laughs> uh, and and uh, he, he famously told me and Willie Miller we were bleeding the club dry and he, he gave me an extra tenner a week. So <laughs> I thought, put it there, boss. That's a brilliant deal. <laughs> That's a good reward for being but, Real Madrid. Yeah, yeah. so... When I went into management, I vowed to take an opportunity to go to a, a higher club if if that opportunity came. And that's the way my career kind of unfolded a little bit so far. Stagnated a wee bit at the moment, but hopefully I can get back in again. You've had an interesting time, haven't you? You've been away in uh, in Egypt? Egypt and Belgium. Belgium. I coached abroad. There were two teams that had half a chance of, of winning, achieving something, and... You know, to be to be honest, um, it pretty much galvanised them into having good seasons. So you know, fifty four percent win ratio at uh, Genk and sixty odd at uh, Zamalek in Egypt. So it wasn't too bad. And but you're eager to get back now. Is there any particular level you're going for? You're just looking for the right kind of job. Yeah, I'd I'd, I'd like a, a a good challenge, a challenge where I had half a chance of winning. Listen, it doesn't have to be Premier League. Um, it, it could be a team that. Has a really good chance of promotion, and someday with with my experience that I can help them. Well, Exeter certainly have a very good chance of promotion, so I'm not sure there'll be a vacancy there for a minute. They are three points clear of second place Notts County, but they are eight points clear of Luton in the playoffs, which is a real margin you want to worry about. Go see them play. It's quite a journey if you're here, definitely. <laughs> but a good journey. Very nice train line. Um, you can get the train to Exeter St. David's and then get train from there to St. James's Park. It's a lovely train journey. Um, by car, don't do it. They won't appreciate it because they're proud to be the first professional club to voluntarily develop travel plans to help fans travel to the ground by more sustainable means. Uh, tickets aren't bad, though. Cheapest adult match day tickets, 16 quid or 17 on the day. Uh, if you're a away fan, also 16 quid. A fiver for under 16s and free for under 11s. OK, gentlemen. When we come back, we'll be moving to League One for a very interesting story developing in the University Heartlands. It's still mad in League One. Shrewsbury slash Shrewsbury. They're five points clear at the top after beating bottom side Oldham. Not bad for a team that was fighting relegation last season, is it? It's a three-way tussle for second with Peterborough, who drew with Walsall, Bradford, who beat Rotherham, and Blackpool, who did something most unsavoury to Oxford. But more on that in a bit. Matt, what did Blackburn do? We uh, we lost 1-0 at home to FC Wimbledon after winning four games on a bounce. This is going to be fun, this show, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Southend, they were 2-0 down to Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank's Northampton at half-time They hauled it back to 2 all, but they still haven't won a game since the opening day of the season Matt, who did Southend beat on the opening day of the season? I can't remember actually No, I can help you Anyway, <laughs> let's have a look at Oxford uh, What do you need to know about Oxford? Well, if you're under the age of 40, you may not realise that they were not only a top-flight team but they won the League Cup 
1986. Only great managers win the League Cup, isn't that right, Alex? Correct. I can uh, remember that as well. <laughs> sadly, sadly, they were relegated in 1988 under one Mark Lawrenson, and they haven't been back since. There are all sorts of fascinating Robert and Kevin Maxwell-related stories about their demise, but we haven't got time or the lawyers for that. The financial collapse, though, was miserable. It culminated in their relegation to non-league in 2006. But hey, like Exeter, they came back. They won the playoffs against York in 2010. Michael Appleton took them up to League One in 2016, but he left last year to become the assistant manager at Leicester. Oxford, though, turned to Pep Clotet, inspiration, tactical superbrain, and hitherto right-hand man of Gary Monk. It all looks very exciting, but Matt, that's not as simple as it looks, is it? Well, they've been going really well so far. I think uh, the Blackpool game was, was a bit of a blip at the weekend. They lost 3-1 and... They were 2-0 down after 15 minutes and yeah, they, they took a while to get started and definitely this, this, this was one fixture where the style didn't pay off. Matt and I watched the tape of this game in a CAF yesterday um, where the CAF owner was, I think it was Classic FM he was playing and uh, it was movie soundtracks. And most of this game we watched to the Star Wars and the Back to the Future soundtrack, which is I can yeah. recommend as a really good way of watching football. Makes everything seem exciting. Um, no, it went horribly wrong. It didn't go that great uh, three days earlier. I watched a tape of them against Bradford, uh, where a 94th minute equaliser cost them three points. But it's it's a fascinating choice, isn't it? Because the style of football is very progressive and very expansive. Goalkeeper always rolls it out from the back. Midfielders ping off in all directions. They've got the little mini Messi Jack Payne in the number 10 role. Um, is it, Alex, possible to play that sort of football in the lower leagues and, and get away with it? Certainly, if you have the players, then... You would you would think that quality would shine through in the end, uh, and that's that would be a factor. But if they, they would need to not be bullied in games, they would need to have some amount of strength, possibly in the back four. Uh, also, a back four who can use the ball. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I, I try I try to be expansive with Hibs. I had two two centre halves. Uh, Big John Hughes, uh, Sean Dennis, uh, they weren't the most cultured players in the world and I, I tried to do the expansive stuff many, many years ago and they, they passing the ball between themselves, edge of the box, lost the ball, free kick, edge of the box, had, gave away a free kick, Aberdeen scored direct from the free kick and we were out of the cup and that's it, I said, uh, right, you too. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get to a point as a manager where you just think, you know what, let's just set it up not to go horribly wrong? We played, uh, yeah, we, we played more more practically with the guys after that and we, we had a very successful season. Matt, o- Oxford could have done with a little bit more pragmatism, couldn't they? I mean, there were numerous occasions we were stopping the tape in the calf and pointing at Mike Williamson and uh, the, the shielding two midfielders, one of whom kept wandering off. Um, can, can they go up like that based on what you've seen? I, I think they're in that stage now where they've got to, to transition to Pep Claudette's ideas and I, I think he signed players with a lot of uh, experience in, in the Football League like Mike Williamson, Jonathan Abeek came in from Swindon, James Henry's a great signing. Um, and you know, I think he's looking for those players to help really, like you know, stabilise the team and make sure that they they don't uh, you know slip too far down. 
Uh, but but really, you know, is Mike Williamson going to be able to play a high line? Is is he going to be able to defend the central ground while the fullbacks split wide to the edge of the pitch and look to receive the ball? Uh, you know, I think it's it's a bit of a challenge there. And he's looked to bring in a few of his own men as well as Pep Clotet. There was a, a few people uh, that he worked with when he was at Malmo and they won the league in 2010. He was assistant to Roland Nielsen there. And uh, he signed three players from that group. Egon Mametti, Rick Ardino, the fullback, and Ivo Pakowski, who injured himself in his first training session. And he's out until next year now. And a few of those players have uh, Champions League experience with Malmo as well. So I think Rick Ardino actually played in a 2-0 defeat to Juventus in the group stage, which... <laughs> is not as bad as a 3-1 defeat at Blackpool. <laughs> when, when, when I was in Belgium for the, that season as well, there was a team called Leersa, uh, I think uh, maybe in the second division just now. But they they had a, a coach who promoted the beautiful game and they, they passed the pants off you. you know, but they were very, very small and uh, in the end they, they were overpowered. They were relegated that season, but... You know, the fair play to the coach who stuck to his principles, but it was a team of small players. Um, Did you have fun when you were out in Belgium? Did you enjoy it? I loved it, it. I loved it yeah. It was, it was great. It was a transitional period for Genk. They never uh, spent any money on bringing anybody in while I was there. They said, we, we have to sell first. Uh, transitional period for them financially as well. Uh, you signed someone though, didn't you? 70 grand. Indeed. <laughs> um, Wilfred and Didi. Wilfred and Didi. Well, well Wilfred... It, you know, it's, he was. He should have been in the system. He was already on trial the season before, and the the uh, chief scout who didn't really communicate with the sporting director he came to me and he said, "Look, coach, they're dragging their heels on this um, young guy that we had in trial from Africa last year." And Wilfred and Didi, and he showed me a little bit in video. I saw how quick it was. You know, just seventeen, eighteen year old. And I said, well, what's he going for? And he said, about 100,000 euros. I said, well, surely he's worth it just for that speed. I'm sure we could hone the the, the raw edges uh, from him. And he was playing immediately for me. So we signed him. We took it to a board meeting and said, look, you're going to lose this guy if you don't go for him. He was going to be free in the January. So the sporting director put his hand up, said, yeah, 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 he's, he's for nothing. Just get him signed. So I, I don't claim to have spotted him, but... Certainly, they may have lost them. I think that that was significant. And uh, no, it was your your nod, your your money, seventy grand. It cost how much did it go for? I think he 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 went for fifteen million, did he? Yeah, fifteen <laughs> oh, million right, to Leicester. I know. I, I, I should have became his agent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I got to say, um, going back to to Oxford, it it is going to be very difficult to to play that kind of football. That's no reason why it won't work. Um, obviously and if I lived anywhere near Oxford I would absolutely go and watch that football team play and here's how I get there did you like that link? seamless you didn't even notice it happening Oxford Station um, unfortunately is a good four miles from the stadium I'm not sure a four mile walk can ever be considered good however there are 2,000 parking spaces if you're taking the car and it's quite good if you're the anxious type and you worry about leaving your car somewhere new because there are only three sides to the Kassam Stadium so you can actually keep an eye on it during the game so that's always <laughs> handy uh, there is a park and ride service near the city centre cheapest adult tickets are £22 or £20 if you're in the family area but under sevens are free. So if you're anywhere near Oxford, go watch them. They are a very interesting team. 
Okay, well that's just about all we've got time for. Uh, going forward, so we we want to know about your club. We want to know uh, what you think about the show. Whether we should send Matt to uh, to come see you and do a feature on you. Um, so get in touch, and you know how to get in touch, don't you? You get in touch on Twitter at the Totally Show, or you get in touch on Facebook at the Totally Football Show, or you know there are respective Twitter accounts and, and handles and such like. Uh, if you've enjoyed the show, please remember to rate us, review us, subscribe to us, tell your friends about us, because you won't be able to legitimately moan about a lack of Football League coverage if some Football League coverage comes along and you don't subscribe to it. That's how we get the advertisers and that's how we continue to pay Matt the £5 he gets every week he comes into the studio. Now, there is some live football on TV... Um, that's coming up this weekend. On Saturday, you can watch Aston Villa, Nottingham Forest. We spoke about it earlier. That's on at 5.30 on Sky Sports Football. And on Sunday at quarter past one, it's a Sheffield Derby at Hillsborough on Sky Sports Football again. That's quarter past one. Thank you so much for coming in, Alex. It's been great to have you here. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. It's great. Matt, you've been wonderful. Thanks, Ian. And you've been wonderful too, dear listener. We'll see you again next week. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>